welcome to Heatstroke Majors, the podcast where one of the hosts was at In the Sun for five hours yesterday for a dumb graduation ceremony and wished sweet death a pro- Well, it gets- I've got a worse. case of the vapors. I ha- oh, I wish I had a case of the vapors. <laughs> After that, I was forced to walk through Central Park, and then we ended up at, the, at some fancy hotel where the waiter- Told me that I couldn't stay in the in the bar of the hotel because I had shorts on, so I had to wear my super what? sweaty graduation robes inside of this bar. No visible legs, you slut. You gorgeous oh, slut with your hairy legs. But yeah, I basically was a pile of sweat and awful uh, yesterday. So I apologize if my energy for this podcast is a little low. But welcome to Media Majors, a storytelling podcast about major media. My name is Tom Lockney, and I like video games and internet culture. My name's Butts McGee, and I like movies and TV, and my real name is Liam Sr. Yes, it is. And I'm going first today, and I've got a great, really fun story for us today. I've called it, The Time That Nintendo of America Literally Killed a Man on Twitter. Wait a second there. Oh, by the way, the alternative title to this uh, is also Nintendo Does a Good Job. (laughs) Chapter 1. Game Journalism. Singing a new song on Polygon.com. Hey, Tom, we just got your book order in. Chapter names are kind of long. I'm doing a whole, like, Sufi and Stevens thing. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Yeah. In October of 2012, Vox Media launches a subsidiary website, Polygon.com. Mm-hmm. This site is meant to appeal to the Vox demographic of 18 to 49-year-olds through video game coverage. Polygon sought to distinguish itself from the traditional games media by focusing on the stories of the people who make games, rather than simply the games themselves. And this has remained mostly true throughout its lifespan. Uh, The founding members were a a veritable supergroup of game journos, including such names as Arthur Geese, Philip Culler, and, uh, of course... Justin and Griffin McElroy's, among others. However, nothing remains the same, and the site, its editors, and its approach to games, journalism, and branding has grown and evolved. Chapter true. Chapter true. Chapter, chapter true. true. I'm attracted to your ample personality. (laughs) Now I, now it's really becoming a Sophie and Stevens album. As any... (laughs) As anyone paying attention to media trends will know, personality-based content reigns supreme. Early adopters such as Giant Bomb have benefited greatly from such trends, and indeed, games media often clashes with YouTube over this very issue. YouTube brands are and almost always have been built on personality, and the popularity of this personality-based approach to games coverage both posed a legitimate threat to establishment games coverage and forever changed its fundamental structure. In response, Polygon has, in recent years, engaged heavily in a rebranding and restructuring. Hmm. What was once a website dedicated to the people making games, Polygon is now just as much about the people who cover them. That's very true. Primarily, this means expanding the scope of video content. Q, Megan Farokmanesh. I'm very, very sorry if I'm pronouncing that name wrong. I could not find a pronunciation anywhere. While she no longer works at Polygon, this woman is directly responsible for what I think we can all consider its golden age. 
And you don't even have to ask me. Polygon right now is, I believe, the fourth most popular online games media outlet. During her tenure, she hired such talents as Julia Alexander, Simone de Rochefort, and most importantly, Tara Long. I know that name. Tara Long is one of Polygon's video producers, and there is a direct correlation between her getting hired and Polygon becoming one of the top personality-based games, media, video content creators on the internet. Under her leadership, we've seen the advent of fantastic personality-driven shows, such as SEO Play, starring Simone de Rochefort, and Issue at Hand, starring Susanna Polo. Of course, we also have to mention such series as Monster Factory, Car Boys, Touch the Skyrim, etc. But, though many folks associate those series with the personalities therein, I have to stress again that much of Polygon's modern video brand is Tara Long's doing. I can't, I can't like, I wasn't in meetings or something like that, but Tara Long gets hired and then all of a sudden Polygon starts producing like dope as shit video content. The stuff that we all watch and crave today. And like there, there's too direct a correlation for me to to chalk it up to coincidence. It's just not possible. The Polygon we know today literally would not exist without her administrative vision as she is the one who has really directed this online video brand. Which brings us to chapter three. Please RT? I did a little rhyme thing this week. And I loved it. Sometime in, I believe, 2016, Polygon's exploding video content necessitates new hires, and so a man named Patrick Gill is brought aboard. He's the man responsible for such stunts as the Polygon Waluigi livestream. Don't ask. <laughs> oh, but I have to, Tom. <laughs> oh, I a while back? Polygon just You can't dangle that tasty carrot in front of my hungry horse mouth. <laughs> there was a bunch of like... <laughs> Just images of Waluigi played under, like, techno music, and Polygon just, like, did that for, like, four hours. Amazing. It was very good. Wow. Uh, and on, on April 10th, 2017, Patrick Gill launches a video series entitled Please Retweet. Episode 1 is called Patrick Will Make Nintendo Retweet This Picture of Toad, and features Patrick Gill's doctored image of, uh, well, Liam. Oh, I, oh, Tom, I already know the picture. Can you describe it for the audience? The uh, listener now, home? correct me if I'm wrong, because I could totally have gotten this wrong. But isn't it Toad, toad in a diaper? It's not just Toad in a diaper. It's Toad in an, an adult diaper. Amazing. With the legs of a human being, just so we can get a real good idea of, of the, the hair situation. Lot on the upper inner thigh. Lot on the upper inner thigh and then thins out as you go outward and down. Well, I can tell you from experience, Toad cannot be wearing that at the Carlisle Hotel or they will ask him to leave. <laughs> Much like me, his hairy-legged brother. Sir, the vest, the shirtless vest is not a problem, but we cannot we, have your bare legs out here. Listen, sir, I know that the gentleman next to you is wearing ripped jeans and money sneakers, but your very nice pressed salmon shorts do not fly here. <laughs> Wear your sweaty robe. <laughs> and of course, Toad is just beaming, because he's, he's a happy little cutie. Toads are a favorite good boy. Each subsequent episode features an escalating appeal to the Japanese publisher and game developer, Nintendo, to retweet the image. The series is now six episodes in, and 
at Nintendo of America has yet to retweet a single one of Patrick's Toad-themed tweets. Boo. However, Uh in the most recent episode, episode six, Patrick tweeted the following at Nintendo of America. Quote, it sure would make me hoppy (laughs) if you put the RT in ribbit and retweeted my Toad. Amazing. Yeah, because Toads hop and do the ribbit. But that toad is a different type of toad than Nintendo's toad. It's so many layers. And on May 15th, 2017, Nintendo tweeted the following. A picture of normal toad with the caption, quote, It sure would make me hoppy if you put the RT in ribbit and retweeted my toad. But... They took him. Yeah. Yeah, dude. They, they trolled it. him. They fucking killed this man in front of everybody on Twitter because they took his tweet that he wanted them to retweet, just took the caption and put it out with regular Toad, refusing, denying him of that sweet, sweet RT, that good SEO, that exposure, that engagement, and they murdered. They straight gacked this fool online in public. Gunpei Yokoi is spinning in his grave. How proud are you of that reference I just made? I'm very proud of you. Skype high five. (laughs) No, I like your noise a lot better for the high five. (laughs) There have been few updates on the situation aside from a small change.org petition to get Reggie Philame to speak to somebody at Nintendo about the tweet. (laughs) I signed the fucking petition. Good. You fucking know I did. Good. I wouldn't suspect anything less. And, uh, fun fact, this is not the first time that Nintendo has just, like, mad dunked on engaged press. Uh, one time they mailed a placard to Game Informer, thanking them for their glowing review of the Mario Party games. Uh, Game Informer hates the Mario Party franchise and has given them extremely low scores. Also, earlier, another Polygon co-worker, Allegra Frank, received a bunch of, uh, memes in the mail from Nintendo. Because she tweeted at them, please stop with the memes. Oh, no. Nintendo Nintendo is like god tier at funny trolling, and it's really great. Ugh, mailing memes. That's that's like some postmodern-ish right there. Yeah. So, yeah, just that high-level salt and uh, the history and evolution of Polygon's brand has culminated in this utterly devastating Twitter own. And that is my story for the week of the time that at Nintendo of America killed Polygon's Patrick Gill. Just shot, just stomped on his head like he was a lowly Goomba. Oh, man. All right, and now it's time to hear from another one of the shows on the Major Cast Network. Take it away, everybody. Hi, I'm Liam Sr. I'm Josh Phillips. And every other Thursday on the Major Cast Network, we release Musty TV. You see, we like television. Some say too much. Most doctors say too much. So we watch the first episode and last episode of a canceled show. And we decide to tell you, is it worth watching? It's not. It never is. Enable our descent into madness every other Thursday on iTunes and where else podcasts may be. Wow. What a great show. I can't wait to listen to it. Especially if it's one that I'm not on. (laughs) All right, boys and girls. Let's get weird. Tom, have you heard of Max Headroom? Yes, I have. Well, then you're going to know about half of this story. Fun. 
Uh, Max Headroom is a fictional British artificial intelligence character known for his wit and stuttering, distorted, electronically sampled voice. Fun fact, he's called that because he's got a lot of room in his head. The character was created by George Stone, Annabelle Jenkel, and Rocky Morton in the mid-80s and was supposed hey, wait, to be... Recurring bit on the show, names that Tom Lockney likes. Annabelle Jenkel, very good name. Annabelle, Annabelle. Jenkel. You did it. They're uh, three music video um, people, I believe. And Max Headroom was to be the world's first computer-generated TV host. Although, so like Hatsune Miku for TV. Well, except that it's actually uh, portrayed by actor Matt Frewer, and the computer-generated appearance was achieved with prosthetic makeup and hand-drawn backgrounds, as the mm. computer technology of the time was not good enough for what they desired. I want a Hatsune Miku for TV that literally just like is Hatsune Miku, has her own talk show Hatsune after she Miku. retires from pop music. And her tour with Anna Managuchi. Yep. Preparing for the look for filming involved a four-and-a-half-hour makeup session, which Frewer, Frewer described as grueling and not fun and liking it to being on the inside of a giant tennis ball. <laughs> that sounds like a little bit of fun to me, other than maybe the fact that it would be sweaty in there. Four-and-a-half hours in the chair, my man. Oh, wow, that's a good point, actually. That's the price you pay for beauty? <laughs> that's that you take off your shorts and you just get a whiff kind of heat. Oh God, the root. Ugh, I never even thought of that. But think of how bad, like, so like in Guardians of the Galaxy, they have all the Ravengers, right? And they have to do all the makeup. Think how stank that room must be after yeah, makeup's you just, done. Yeah, like, you peel off your underwear Ugh. when you get home, and then not even two showers is gonna do it for you. No, no awesome mixtape is gonna make this smell any better, James Gunn. So he, uh, the character Max, uh, had a shiny dark suit. Uh, he would wear Ray-Ban sunglasses, and only his head and shoulders were depicted against a computer-generated backdrop of a slowly rotating wireframe cube interior. That sounds just, like, completely nauseating to watch. Right. And another nauseating thing was his speech pattern was chaotic, and his voice would pitch up and down at random and occasionally get stuck, 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 stuck in a loop. Um, and these modulations were achieved with a harmonizer and, like... When the characters performed live, they would, you know, Peter Frampton it up, but much more chaotically. The character's personality was partly intended as a satire of insincere and egotistical television personalities. Uh, Rocky Morton described it as very sterile, arrogant, Western personification of the middle-class male TV host, who is also media-wise and gleefully disrespectful to appeal to younger viewers. I like this. Matt Freer was chosen because he was really good at improv and had an ideal mid-Atlantic accent. <laughs> Would you like to hear Max Headroom's fake backstory because he's not a real character? Gosh darn it, Liam. You know I do. I'm so hungry for that juicy, juicy television lore, and I want you to drip it into my mouth like a dirty monkey. The AI of... Wait, what? Hold <laughs> on. My God. I'm sorry. Sometimes I get gross on this show because I'm a nasty boy. You're a bad little capuchin. I'm the monkey in this scenario, by the way. The AI of Max Headroom was shown to have been created from the memories of crusading journalist Edison Carter. The character's name came from the last thing Carter saw during a vehicular accident that put him into a coma. A warning sign marked Max Headroom 2.3 meters. Oh, that's so stupid. So Mine dark. Mine is way better. Yeah, yours is much better. 
So Max Headroom originally appeared in the British-made cyberpunk TV movie, Max Headroom, 20 Minutes into the Future. Um, he's appeared in Pixels by Galaga. He appeared in Back to the Future 2 in a Cafe 80s scene. Um, and after the movie success, the character was spun off into a VJ in, uh, video DJ in the British music video program, The Max Headroom Show, whose first episodes unusually featured no introductory title sequence or end credits. That's bold. Avant-garde. Don't credit anybody who worked on the thing. I mean, that was because they wanted you to think that this person was real. Um, The spinoff show was an immediate cult hit, and it doubled Channel 4's viewing figures for its slot. And it was on Channel 4 from last week's Eden incident. Yes. Everybody will remember the time that they left those people. That they stranded 23 peoples in Scotland. A second season of the Max Headroom show which brought in the original concept to include celebrity interviews and a studio audience was produced in 85 and a third and final season ran in 86. Um, In the U.S., they were shown on Cinemax. There was a Christmas special. Uh, In 87, Cinemax produced the fourth season after the Christmas special. Insufferable. And the final spinoff of the original film was the dramatic television series Max Headroom, which was broadcast in the U.S. running two short seasons in 87 with two more episodes shown in 88. What was it about? Um, let me check that out real quick. Max Headroom has, like, relationship troubles drama? Or, like, Max Headroom has to fight to get back to the future? That second one sounds dope as fuck. But it's just 20 minutes into the future. Dog, just wait. Okay, so yeah, it's Max Headroom. Yeah, it's it's Max Headroom and Edison Carter trying to wipe out corruption in a futuristic computer society. Uh, yeah, that's Cyber Chase on PBS. They yeah. already did that. Okay. Well, th- I think this okay, was first because this Headroom. was 88. Quit trying to crib from... Well, if we're going canon here and he is from the future, then he cribbed oh, Cyber yeah. Chase's style, went back to the past so he could capitalize on that good, good idea. What a fucking conspiracy. Damn, yo. He became a celebrity outside of the television series. He was the spokesman for New Coke, which was like they had Coca-Cola Classic and then they had New Coke, which failed miserably. And he, the slogan was catch the wave, but it was actually catch the wave because of a stutter. And uh, he appeared in Sesame Street, recites the alphabet, gives commentary on letters. Part two. So there have only been three recorded instances of signal intrusion in American history. So that's when someone has hacked into the television waves and broadcasted their own shit. Oh, that's so some like pirate radio shit kind of. Yeah, pirate television, which is different from pirate radio because like pirate radio is like, this is the music that people want. And pirate television is people just like fucking with everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's like when a Twitter account gets hacked and some some idiot teenager or college kid dude is like, I hacksaws your account, Sprint. Lols. Do it for the lols. <laughs> the, I think, third incident that's ever happened. I'm almost positive. Yeah, pretty sure. Um, a TV engineer calling himself Captain Midnight uh, replaced the HBO signal for the eastern half of the country with a text-only message protesting a rate increase many saw unfair to satellite dish owners. He was caught, identified as John McDougal, and have paid a $5,000 fine. Now, the other two instances of signal intrusion, have no, there, no one has been caught. No one has been found. So some, like, D.B. Cooper shit. Chicago, Illinois, the evening of November 22nd, 1987. During then-independent station WGTV, 
uh, which was like Channel 9 in Chicago, their live telecast of its primetime newscast, the 9 o'clock news, during highlights from the Chicago Bears' 3 10 home victory over the Detroit Lions, the screen went black for 15 seconds. Then, returned a person wearing a Max Headroom mask and sunglasses, moving around and bobbing. His head was in front of a sheet of moving corrugated metal, which imitated the background effect used in the actual Max Headroom pieces. There was no audio other than a buzzing, no- a buzzing noise and an oscillating sound. The hijack was stopped after engineers at WGN switched the frequency of their studio link to a different uh, transmitter. That's super duper 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 ohms. Later that night, around 11.15 p.m. Again? He did it again! During a broadcast of the Doctor Who serial Horror of Fang Rock, PBS member station WTTW Signal was hijacked by the same person who had hijacked WGN-TV. This time with distorted and crackling audio. I've watched it. Yeah. It's 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 genuinely unsettling. But I'm going to tell you what happens in it. Because the description is so much better than that what actually happens. Liam, Liam, are you ready for this? Monkey feeder, juice, into my mouth. I want it. The show was interrupted by television static, after which the unidentified man wearing the Max Headroom mask and sunglasses appeared, mentioning WGN pundit Chuck Swirsky. So that's a guy from the other station he hacked. He said he was better than Chuck and went on to call Swirsky a frickin' liberal. (laughs) The man started to moan, scream, and laugh for a very long time. Whoa! He would continue to laugh and utter various random phrases, including the new Coke's advertising slogan, catch the wave, (laughs) while holding a, wait, wait, while holding a Pepsi can. Crushing the can against his head and throwing it off screen. <laughs> Fucking awesome! Leaning this towards the camera. So goddamn hard. And presented the finger <laughs> while wearing a rubber extension <laughs> over his middle finger so yeah. that most of it was off screen. This is fucking art. The man then retrieved <laughs> the Pepsi can and sang, Your love is fading. Remove the rubber extension and then began humming the theme song to Clutch Cargo. Clutch Cargo was a, a you've seen Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah. Do you remember um, the scene where Christopher Walken talks about putting the watch in his ass? Yes. Do you remember that weird TV show Bruce Willis as a kid is watching where it's cartoon but the mouths are real? Yeah, So that's yeah. Clutch Cargo is one of the first animated shows. And he started humming the theme song to that, pausing to say, I still see the X, which referred to the final episode of that series before humming again. Most people thought he said, I stole CBS. So people actually started to get really concerned. Holy shit. He then began to moan painfully, exclaiming about his piles, after which a flatulence sound was heard. <laughs> he then stated that the that he had made a giant masterpiece for all the greatest world newspaper nerds. He then held up a glove similar to the one worn by Michael Jackson at the time and said, "My brother is wearing the other one." My brother is wearing the other one. 
Wow. <laughs> but it's but it's dirty, like he got blood stains on it. He then removed wow. the glove and threw it down. We're not done. The what? picture suddenly cut over to a shot of the man's lower torso. His oh buttocks were partly oh. exposed. No and he was way. holding the now removed mask up to the camera with the rubber extension now placed in the mouth of the mask, howling. They're coming to get me. An unidentified female accomplice wearing a French-made outfit said to him, Bend over, bitch. The accomplice then started to spank the man with a fly swatter as the man screamed loudly. The transition then blacked out for a few seconds before resuming the Doctor Who episode in progress. As far as I can tell, a massive electric shock, he died instantly. The generator? The hijack lasted for only 90 seconds. What the fuck? That was in 90 seconds that happened? Yep. That's incredible. Isn't that how nuts? Would you, how do you go about hijacking a C I mean, I'm sure there's not a ton of information out there. Oh, no. On, um, like, how you jack CBS or whatever. So, but. WTTW, which maintains its transmitter atop the Sears Tower, found that the engineers were unable to stop the hijacker due to the fact that there were no engineers on duty at the Sears Tower at the time of the hijacking. Okay. According to the station spokesman, Anders Joachim, technicians monitoring the transmission from WTTW headquarters attempted to take corrective measures, but couldn't. By the time our people began looking into what was going on, it was already over. So I, I think what it is is that he figured out what frequency the waves the, that were the coming wavelength? from the yeah. transmitter, transmitter and were able to just intercept that. And just got lucky? Twice in one day? Twice in one day, two different networks. Fuck, that's so amazing. God. So... Both networks joined HBO, which had the Captain John incident. Oh, 19 months earlier. Sorry. I say that it was. Yeah, I said it was first. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, as in instances of broadcast signal intrusion. The Max Headroom incident made the national headlines and was reported on the CBS Evening News the next day. And the network received numerous phone calls from viewers who were confused at what they just saw. I can imagine. An investigating FCC engineer quoted at the time said the perpetrators in the intrusion would face a maximum of $10,000 fine and up to a year in prison or both. Well, but here, here's the thing about WGN Chicago. They thought this was hilarious. <laughs> good. Good for them. So not long after the incident, WMAQ-TV humorously inserted clips of the hijacking into a newscast during a different sports highlight. Oh, that's, that extremely owns. A lot of people thought it was real. The pirate cutting into our broadcast. We got all kind of calls about it, said the host. And it was about the Bears-Lions game. So they, like, did it at the right time. I'm so glad that these people got jacked and were like, yes, and... They also, um, like, they would just talk, they just talked about it all the next day and were just like, isn't this crazy? Isn't this nuts? Isn't this strange that this thing happened? And they, uh, I just love that they cut it during a, a different sports broadcast of the same thing at the same point. So fucking good. So unfortunately, no one knows who this Max Headroom hero is. But Vice's Chris Niddle obtained some FBI files and interviewed former investigators about the crime. Wow. And here's what he had to say. In the case of the Max Headroom intrusion, the theory goes like this. 
The hacker managed to overpower the microwaves of the STL, which sat vulnerable to attack on a frequency that wouldn't have been hard to find, as they were being sent to receivers atop the John Hancock building and the Sears Tower. Those are where the two transmitters for the stations were. The intruders would have simply had to switch on their transmission equipment at a high enough location, probably a high-rise apartment or a roof, at a place between the two studios and their downtown transmitters, somewhere on the north or northwest sides of Chicago. From there, they could blast the skyscraper receivers with high-power microwave frequencies, and by overriding the studio signal, they could trick the transmitters into sending their own signal. Um, one of the uh, FBI guys, I think the bad guy got close to the receiving end and just transmitted a signal that was received with stronger strength the more distant uh, than the more distant intended signal. But in the end, the only real lead Niddle found was a Redditor to have met those responsible through the Chicago online bulletin board scene in the 80s. But unfortunately, that lead turned out dry. Damn. And the epilogue is this. Max Headroom makes a cameo appearance in the 2015 movie Pixels. Fuck you, Adam Sandler. <sighs> wow. That's a fucking great story. And that is the story of the only time that a, a signal intrusion happened on American soil in the span of about two years. All right. So sometimes we talk about some bummer stuff. Today, not really. Today was a yeah. pretty pretty positive episode. Um, but we like to end our show with a little self-love and healing in a section we like to call Self-Care Corner. Yeah, we do. And uh, Liam, you want to go first this week? I graduated college. <laughs> Yay! Technically, I graduated in December, but I am officially donezo. Congratulations, man. Proud of you. You did Thank it. Thank you. Thanks, bud. That's my self-care corner. Awesome. Mine is also uh, graduation-themed. My friend, Adam, is graduating from college. He and I went to the same college, and I've known him for 10 years. Actually, know him through the same sleepaway camp that Liam and I went to when we were kids. Yup, yup. So he and I have been friends for like 10 years, so I figured, you know what, I'd drive out and see him graduate, because uh, I've known him for a very long time, and I love him very much. So here I am, and it's, it's, it's been fun. The, the, y'all, going to a college campus when you're not in college anymore, and everybody's about to graduate, the energy is real weird, but I'm having a good time seeing some old professors and stuff, so it's been very fun graduation in general sucks like all the ceremonies are it, the heat is unbearable and it was ugh. the like just week beforehand where there's nothing to do and everybody's like i guess we'll just drink some more and it's never fun nope um oh you know what also i think we should just throw this out there because culturally speaking today has been like an incredibly good day because chelsea manning got out of prison and roger Woo-hoo! ailes died so like just like good shit is going down today uh, so I'm kind of waiting to do this because I want to see how this fiasco weighs out, but just because I've been really excited about the research I've been doing for it, I, I, I won't say when because I don't know when, but I will be doing a story about the downfall of Fox News this year and just all of the terrible stuff that's happened. Great, Great stuff for us because fuck that channel, but uh-oh. Awesome. So that's Self-Care Corner. Um, if you want to contact or follow us, at Media Majors Cast on Twitter, uh, the Major Casts Network on Facebook, Media Majors Podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. It doesn't have to be long, it can just be like a sentence say, hey, thanks for listening. Um, subscribe to us on the podcast app on your phone. 
A lot of people don't seem to realize everybody has a podcast app on their iPhone, but you do. You do, and you can easily subscribe to us. Oh, yeah. Hey, we got a shout-out. We got a shout-out. I forgot to do this. They followed us a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm so sorry. I forgot. The Gruntwork podcast oh, yeah, uh, yeah. followed us. They are um, a comedy podcast dedicated to the Tim Allen TV show Home Improvement. Uh, so maybe go check them out. Yeah. Thanks for following us, guys. That sounds rad as hell, to be honest. And then my friend Donovan followed us, too. <laughs> That's nice. Hi, Donovan. Hello, Donovan. I'm very happy to, to be able to whisper in your ear. Hey, little girl. I hate that that's a song. <laughs> I hate that that's a song. Who wrote the lyric, hey, little girl, let me whisper in your ear, and thought, yeah, that's okay for a grown man to sing? Probably R. Kelly. Yeah. So ends the impromptu shout-out section. Um, hey, we have a podcast network. Why don't you go to the website, which is still MediaMatrixCast.com. Uh, yep. And uh, maybe check out some of the other shows. They're yeah. real fun, and I think you're going to like them. Yeah, Shmanime, Musty TV, and Big Time Whoopsies. And programs, uh, we plan on, on getting some more shows eventually, so stay yes. tuned. And as always... <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.